I don't know if you know this, but you're in America. And in America, we love freedom. We love freedom. There are 15 towns actually named Freedom from Maine to California, 15 of them. It's what we like to think that we export to the rest of the world. You know what we export from America? We export freedom. Remember that Arab Rising stuff? We were all excited. Woo, they're going to have some freedom. It's going to be great. So we like to think that freedom is this thing that we just send to the rest of the world to make the world a better place. Now, we got our shorts in a bunch back in 2003 because one of our friends, France, didn't want to go to war with us. And if you'll remember, Congress renamed all the stuff in their uh, restaurant, new name. So instead of French fries, you could order freedom fries. I love it. I love it. Freedom fries. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that Chase has a freedom visa card, a freedom, and it's not just any kind of freedom. What kind of freedom is it? Unlimited freedom. Thank you, Chase. Visa is everywhere I want to be, okay? But here's the thing, decision by decision, decade by decade, the typical American gives away their freedom, gives their freedom away so that by the time they're 40 or 45 years old, they're stuck in a job they hate but can't leave because they've got what? Payments, house payments, car payments, student loan payments, credit card payments. Here's what I want you to know today. Debt and freedom move in opposite directions. Debt goes one way, freedom goes the other way. They move in opposite directions, which is why we have these kinds of memes on social media. I owe, I owe, I owe, I owe. So off to work I go. Every day there's more to pay the bills. They choke, I owe, I owe, I owe. <laughs> okay, so there you go. There's one meme. This next one was voted best for student loans. <laughs> Still paying my student loans. She looks to be about 125. <laughs> Bless her heart. And when I was looking at all the student loan stuff, I came across this one from Sally May. Sally May be like, oh, you graduated? I will find you. <laughs> like it turns into Liam Nielsen right there. I will find you, okay? So I don't know if you know this, but 71% of the American economy is fueled by consumer spending. But because wages have remained relatively flat over the last several decades, uh, adjusting for inflation, the cost of everything else has gone what? Up. I don't know if you noticed, but things cost more than they did 20 years ago. It's crazy. And so Americans, to some degree, are using debt to make up the difference. The Wall Street Journal, a bastion of progressive liberalism, I, that's a joke, by the way. That's really not. It's a bastion of conservatism. But the Wall Street Journal reports that families go deep into debt to stay in the middle class because it's getting harder. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about economic injustice in this country. So bring some popcorn. It should be fun. Um, so this is a thing. Now, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, if you borrowed money that you couldn't repay, there were two options. 
Option number one was debt slavery. Now, the way debt slavery worked is when you took out this loan, when you borrowed money, you either offered yourself or more often than not, you offered one or more of your children as collateral against the loan. So if you defaulted on the loan, the creditor could come and take your kids and make them work for them for free. They would become debt slaves. Uh, the second option was this thing called debtor's prison. And the way debtor's prison worked is you took out a loan you couldn't repay. Your creditor would order you to be thrown into a special kind of jail where you had to stay and you had to pay back the money that you owed to the creditor and all the costs incurred to incarcerate you. Now, the reason they would do that is that they would hope that one of two things would happen, that you actually had money you had hidden away that now you'd be motivated to reveal that you had, or that a friend or family member or patron of your family would feel so bad for you, they would pony up what you owed. And I know some of you are thinking right now, Max, that's terrible. Like, what kind of society would have those things? America until 1833. Um, but what kind of societies would have those kind of things? So th this is reality. Here's the thing. For many of us, let's be honest, we're living out forms of debt slavery and debtor's prison because of what we owe to various people. We're in prison because we don't have the freedom to make choices um, and, and we're just serving the folks that we owe money to. But here's what I want for you. I want you to be debt free. I want you at some point in your life down the road in the future to be debt free because you will have the freedom to do things that you wanna do, freedom to do things that God prompts you to do. You will have tremendous amount of freedom. But here's the thing, the more debt you have, the less freedom you get to experience the less debt you have, the more freedom you get to experience. Now in America, which is again where you live, America owes some money right now. Roughly, the national debt is about 22 and a half trillion, that's T with a trillion dollars. Experts disagree about whether the unfunded liability part, that's stuff like Social Security, Medicare, et cetera, that automatically goes out every month. Congress doesn't pass anything. It just goes out the door. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Remember that money saying goodbye to you? So the government has a, a lot of money that just says, bye-bye, government. <laughs> it goes out without any kind of adjustment or anything. It just goes. Uh, when you, and so we think that's anywhere from 58 trillion to 118 trillion. Your share of that as a taxpayer, as a, so your family, your household's share of that is around $878,000 a family. Now, the typical American family owes about $132,000, mortgage, student loans, cars, etc. So if you add it all together, your family's in debt a million dollars. Are you kind of excited now to be an American? <laughs> okay, probably not exactly. Um, so when God launched the first nation, when God had the first group of people that would live according to his ways, he made a promise in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. 
Let me that last part again. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. Now, you seem like smart people. Using this verse as an evaluative lens for measuring Team America, would you say that we're blessed right now or maybe not blessed? Okay, there's a lot of not blessed faces out there, okay? But we are blessed, so there's that paradox in there, okay? Solomon put it this way in Proverbs. He said, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. This is true of nations. This is true of individuals. This proverb is talking about freedom and power. Only the rich have access to the kind of power that money brings. Only the rich call the shots. There's no question in this proverb who has the power. Does the borrower have any power in this proverb? No, no. The rich do, lenders do, lenders are king, borrowers are slave. And again, it's true of nations and individuals. If as Team America, we continue to borrow money from China, eventually what will happen? Who will be calling the shots? China, that's how it works. Uh, I have a friend who needed to consolidate some debt. He, uh, they got in over their head on their mortgage and he had some graduate school debt. And so his father-in-law bailed him out. And a couple of years ago, there was this family thing going on. And the father-in-law was like, you're going to come and it's going to be here. And this is how it's going to work. And it didn't, it didn't work with his family schedule. It didn't work with his job. It didn't work with the ages of his kids. And I, I had one of those, uh, well, you need to set a boundary conversations that I seem to have a lot. And do you know what he said to me? Max, I can't. I owe him a lot of money. I've got to go. I got to do what he asks. See how this plays out, right? So, so debt, we understand, is bad. Now, if you're here today and you're young and you're a college student or you're under the age of 18, I just want you to understand and I want to plant a seed today that the more you borrow, the more freedom you give away in your life, okay? I just want you to make that connection and be wise about what you're borrowing and what you're borrowing for. For everyone else who's borrowed and it's in the rearview mirror, I want to remind you that God cares. I want to remind you that God can help. And I want to remind you that you don't have to be down the road where you are today. Today is an opportunity, right? And to do that, I want to peer into a story that I've taught on before from 2 Kings. And it's one of my favorite encounters, um, one of my favorite encounters of the Old Testament prophets. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to look at this in sections. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elijah and cried out, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now, now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Debt slavery. Now, Josephus tells us that this man was uh, uh, this woman was the wife of Obadiah, Obadiah, the, the servant of the king of uh, King Ahab. If you know anything about your Old Testament history, King Ahab was wicked. He was evil. His, and the wickedness and evil that he had, his wife had in spades. Uh, there's a, there was a musical group called Fling Down Jezebel. Her name was Jezebel. She was so wicked, right? So, so Jezebel did not like the prophets of God at that time because the prophets of God were always saying, God's gonna judge you, Israel, repent. And the king didn't like that. 
and made him get all consternated. And looking out for her husband, she decided, I'm just going to kill them all. That'll solve that problem. Well, Obadiah, who feared the Lord, decided to take a hundred of them and he hid them out in a cave. Well, that cost a lot of money to feed and supply a hundred people that you've got in hiding. And apparently his servant income serving the king was inadequate, so he took out a loan to pay for this and apparently died before he could pay the loan back. And what did he do? He, offered, he had offered his sons as collateral. Well, let's keep going. Verse 2. What can I do to help you, Elisha, the prophet said. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors, and then go into your house with your sons and shut the door. Pour the olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside until it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another, and soon every container was full to the brim. Bring another jar, she said to her sons. There aren't any more, they said. And the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now, sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what's left over. Behind closed doors, where no one could see, but the woman and her two sons, she used what she had, she leveraged her social network, and God intervened. If you're in debt to the point where you've got chest pains, or when the phone rings, or you get something in the mail, Again, you've got those chest pains or you can't sleep at night. I want you to know you're not worse off than this woman right here. She was about to lose her two sons, which was the primary source of income and livelihood in the ancient world, the way it worked, right? She was about to lose everything. I personally find it encouraging what the woman did not get from the man of God. What did she not get from the man of God? A lecture. Listen, Mithiv, listen. Haven't you heard Leviticus read in the temple? Don't you know that you're supposed to lend to nations? You're not supposed to borrow money. Haven't you been paying attention? What kind of faith did you and Obadiah have that you didn't trust the Lord God to provide for those prophets that you thought you'd have to take out a loan for, right? She didn't get a lecture, but she got help. So again, she used what she had, in this case, olive oil. She leveraged her social network, borrowing jars from neighbors, and God intervened. Again, debt and freedom move in opposite directions, but God cares. He cares about what's going on in your life, and if you've made decisions that you're not thrilled about, it's not as though God as the heavenly father is up there going, well, this is gonna be fun to watch this. No, right? Now, does God always save or rescue us from the consequences of bad choices? Absolutely not. Part of the way life works is there's consequences to decisions that we make. But again, you're not stuck. You're not stuck. If you ever feel in your head, I'm trapped, there's no way out, da-da-da, that's not God talking to you, okay? Now, for those of you that are in debt today, I've got some questions. What do you have that you could leverage to pay off debt? Do you have the ability to take on a second job? What are some things that you could sell? Are you locked in absolutely to the house that you're in or the cars that you drive? What are some things that you could do to leverage 
to pay off, to begin paying off debt. And then secondly, just taking the income that you have right now, if you had no payments, would you be rich all of a sudden? Just on your current income. Think about the raise that you would get right now this month if you just didn't have payments. Holy cow, you wouldn't need to be making $250,000. You'd get an immediate raise. And lastly, what would you be willing to live without in order to be debt-free? And I know, in America, it's challenging. These are challenging times. We have economic things and forces working against you. It's easy to get waylaid by something like a medical condition today in America. You have something go wrong medically or you get laid off and no one will hire you back and it can set you back for a long time. But again, you don't have to be stuck. So I wanna give some practical, practical application. In light of what we see from Proverbs, in light of what we see about God's heart when it comes to borrowing and lending, in light of what we see here, first of all, pray. Pray, pray. What did the woman do? She sought out God. She prayed. It's not as though it, you're on your own, right? So pray. Pray and ask God for wisdom. Pray for opportunities. Pray for clarity and the ability to see things as they are. And then she sought out the man of God. It, what would it hurt to seek out wise counsel, people in your life that you admire because of their walk with God to seek out counsel? Here, I feel stuck. Here's where I am. What do you see? What am I missing? Pray. The second thing, sell. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, sell so much the kids think they're next, right? But chances are, chances are you own stuff that you could sell. So what are some of those things? What could you sell that could generate some money? Um, I know a guy who had medical bills once and he sold his kayak for $400, but he paid off the hospital bill. It was a small thing, he was young, but 400 for him was a lot of money, okay? All right, third thing, work. It's okay, it's okay if for a season you have to take on a second job. I know I'm saying things that are just antithetical in some parts of America, right? Your pastor takes part-time jobs on the side. I do this. As a pastor, I have cleaned toilets. I've been an elementary school janitor as a fully ordained full-time pastor. I've taken on that side job once. These days, I do disc trainings and I teach for Asbury University. But if I could make more money delivering pizza, I would do it in a heartbeat. I don't care. Uh, this last month, I did a disc training. Guess what? Remember my story a couple, of weeks ago about, a couple of weeks ago about how every month we're having an appliance die? That's created some financial woo, for us. So I needed some help making the insurance payment that's due. So guess what? I took an extra job, right? So work, getting an extra job is not a bad thing for a season. And then last but not least, use the debt snowball. And you'll get an email tomorrow that has some links about debt and, and being wise about debt and places to go next. And I'm gonna remind you that there are people in this congregation that do financial counseling. If you want somebody to come in with, with the confidentiality but wisdom to help you get a fresh pair of eyes to where you are, that's an option on the table. How does a debt snowball work? Well, let's say I have three debts. One is $15,000, one is $10,000, and one is $5,000.
I basically forget about the 10 and $15,000 debts or I make minimum payments if, if I can do that. If I can't do it, I just don't pay them. I stop paying on them. And I do everything I can to get rid of the $5,000 debt. And then when the $5,000 debt is gone, then I use everything I was throwing at that for what I can tackle the $10,000 debt. And then over time, what happens is you get a snowball. Um, and I know sometimes you'll hear the, what about my FICO score? And what about this? And what about that? Yes, those are things, but let's be honest. Did worrying about the FICO score help you get where you are? No, no, right? So sometimes it's, and, and sometimes the debt is significant enough that you got to look at things, right? So I just, that's some practical things. Pray, sell, work, and use the debt snowball. Now I wanna get like, this is in the realm of, this is not in light of the Bible, so I have to do a Paul disclaimer. This is just the opinions of Max Vanderpool giving some advice to some of his friends. Um, Cause I get to preach every week, so there you go. Um, given where we are as a country, for those of you that are younger, college is no longer a place to figure out life. College has gotten so expensive. If you're racking up fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year just to figure out who you are or what you should do, please don't do that. Do, do something else to figure out who you are and what you should do. Um, and I would also say, I'm not sure college is for everyone. It's okay not to go to college. I know we live in a country where it's just like, I know this is a parent. Um, well, my kids, got on a full academic scholarship and they're going to Yale. Aren't I a better parent than you, right? And there's this thing that plays out. Um, setting that aside for a moment, college isn't for everyone. There are some great jobs that you can get that pay a decent wage and you're not having to work for the man, so to speak, and, and you don't have to have a college degree to get there. Um, so again, be thoughtful about college. One of the things we did as a family for our kids is we were like, here's the maximum amount we feel you should borrow, period, for college. If it's more than that, ah! <laughs> like, Jenny and I tried our best to put that fear of God into all of them. Um, secondly, if you've borrowed for a professional degree, I beg you, hunker down for a season. I, and I'm thinking of things like a law degree, a dentist degree, you're a PA, you're a doctor. P professional degrees can come with a price tag of what? Six figures, $100,000 or more. It's a lot of money. But what typically happens is, as soon as you get into the income, now your income is just insane, right? Your taxes are also insane and some other things, but like now you've got this income you never had before. And what a lot of people do is they just immediately, they get the car, they get the house, they do everything. What if you just took a decade and continued to drive your lame car? And if it dies, just buy a $4,000 reliable car that you could pay cash for. And what if you continued to live in your too small apartment so that within a decade, you could retire that professional debt? Do you know what would happen 10 years from now? all your friends that had done all the upgrades, you'd be sailing past them. Because now that full income of yours can now do all kinds of stuff. And you don't have the professional debt around you like a noose. Just think about it. Just think about it. Number three, when you go shopping for something and you're at the Verizon store or you're at Toyota on Nicholasville or you're at Nicholasville Furniture and you're only talking about what is my monthly payment going to be, I want you to know that you're going to pay more for whatever that is. 
If it's a couch, you're gonna pay more for the couch. If it's a car, you're gonna pay more for the car. If it's a cell phone contract, as soon as you're talking monthly payments, the person on the other side of the counter, the person on the other side of the desk knows, ah, we've got them, <laughs> right? And you're gonna pay more for whatever that is. I just want you to be aware of that, okay? Uh, if you've got kids in high school, would you involve them and empower them? Um, and I, I'm just gonna share what Jenny and I've done. It's not the best idea in the world by far, but it's worked to some degree. Um, each time our kids become a senior in high school, they get their own checking account, they pay their own bills, so if there's things related to it, you know, you pay it out of your checking account. Um, the way it worked with John, he's not here today and he doesn't listen online, so I can tell this story. So, so John was borrowing the car, he got his license, and he was borrowing the car all the time, and he was in band at the time. And at the end of band practice, he would run about five kids home to Wilmore, to extreme most parts of the county, and, you know, he was burning gas like no tomorrow. And Jenny and I were just filling that car and filling that car and filling that car. And it'd be like, John, ask him for a buck or two to help out with gas. Oh, I can't do that, right? You told us be, be generous, live generously. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> it's my money, <laughs> okay? When he got his checking account and he was putting gas in the car, do you know what stopped? <laughs> right? Do you know what stopped? So... Right, and the other thing that we did when the kids were in high school is we let them know the finances. Here's the money that comes in. Here's the money that goes out. Um, Jillian will tell you, right, is it worth asking for things? <laughs> Oftentimes, no, because you know where they know. Mom and dad, oh, mom and dad do not have unlimited financial resources. There are actually limits in play, okay? So... I, for some of you that you might have this, well, I don't want them to know where we are financially. Well, look, when you die, they're gonna find out anyway. So let's just speed up the process, okay? Do it while you're around and you can talk about, you know, I'm glad I did this. I really wish I hadn't done that because they're teachable moments. But involve your high school uh, students in this. This one's for me because if I have cash or a credit card, I'm, your pastor's gonna spend more. I'm, I'm horrible with cash. If I have cash on me, it's like, oh, I've got cash, I'm rich. Ding, 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 and I'll burn through cash like not tomorrow. Debit card for me, totally different. And, and when I'm checking out, when they ask me, do you want a receipt? I'm always like, yes, I need to subtract that when I get home. <laughs> and when I watch the balance go down, I'm like, oh, ding, I'm done. The answer is no, I'm done, right? So that works for me. I just want you to know that there are options available other than credit. Why is this important? Last year, uh, I was volunteering a lot in the jail and I ran into someone I didn't expect. So one of these Mondays I show up and he's there. Someone I knew from the community uh, had completed medical school, lived in one of the finest houses of Jessamine County. Um, Two of their kids, when they got their driver's licenses, kid one got the most tripped out brand new Jeep you could imagine. Kid two got like some kind of SUV, like just amazing, right? So, you, you know, but again, medical, money, the whole nine yards. And so we get off, we have an opportunity to sit down in the corner of this big room where we're doing this thing in the jail. And I'm like, what, what happened? Like, you know, why are you here? What happened? And I got the story. Max, oh, 
I was so stupid. I was so stupid. We borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and borrowed. And I made an insane amount of money, but we borrowed all of that and then some. That house, those cars, those trips I took, we couldn't afford it. We borrowed money twice from my parents and it was eating me up from the inside. And in order to cope with all of the stress that I couldn't keep spinning these plates and I had tapped out all the liquidity we had, I started self-medicating. And then I couldn't steal or write enough. I, had to, I did something that ended me up here. I wish... And this is what he said, now that I'm in here, all of that was so stupid. I'm gonna lose all of that stuff anyway, and you know what really matters? My marriage, my kids, that's what really matters. I wish I didn't have to be in here to have learned that, right? If you're lucky enough to turn 50 or 70 or 90 or 120 years old, you are not gonna look back and think to yourself, I wish I had taken on more debt. Not gonna happen. <laughs> what you may end up saying is, man, I wish I had had more freedom. Man, I wish I could've. Man, I wish I hadn't, right? So again, I want you to be free. Free to truly live the life that God wants for you. Free to truly be a blessing to others. And I wanna remind you that debt and freedom move in opposite directions, you can't have both.